Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, lagonvalleyvineyard.com. Good afternoon. Good 11 minutes past noon. Um, my name is Dana Masters. For those who don't know me, I am married to the illustrious Andrew Masters. And uh, we are wrapping up a series that we've been doing for the last few weeks called Basics, and it really has been amazing. Um, and this week we're going to turn our attention to the subject of worship. And admittedly, this subject is vast. And within Christian circles can be a bit difficult to agree what it is and how you do it. Um, Literally, churches have fallen out over this subject and went separate ways. So I just feel like we need to promise one another today that we're not going to fall out and we're not going to go our separate ways over this this morning. And just for clarity's sake, we all know or I will, I'm going to tell you that worship is obviously not just singing or what we do here in this building. It is a lifestyle. And, but for the sake of this talk, I want to focus on corporate worship, okay? Because it is really important when we gather together um, that we worship Jesus together, all right? Is that all right? Wonderful. So I've been involved in leading worship for over 20 years now. And I know, I know, I look like a wee babe. Couldn't possibly have been doing it that long. Um, and if I'm honest, for the majority of that time, thinking back on it, um, I realized that uh, whether or not I worshipped or um, how passionately I worshipped or even how much I enjoyed worship was very much dependent on my feelings um, and my circumstances in that moment, okay? So, and that's, a, I think that's quite a normal experience for a lot of us to say, yeah, maybe, maybe that would be true for me too, Here in Vineyard, we have a very deep love and value for worship, both privately and corporately. And corporately meaning that when we come together and worship together. Um, And if you've been around Vineyard or the Vineyard movement on a whole for any length of time, or you've ever hung out with any other charismatic movement, you might have heard of a little something we like to call spontaneous worship. Yeah? And that is just the lovely way of describing a song that one sings to God that is made up on the spot. Sounds lovely. Sometimes the songs are good. Sometimes they are not, depending on who's doing it. But I grew up in a church in the deep south of America, in the Bible Belt. We call it the Bible Belt because there's literally a church on every corner, and there's sometimes two churches on opposite corners and they're, they're warring off or they're facing off. There's so many churches. So we call it the Bible Belt. And that's where I grew up. And I grew up in the charismatic sort slash Pentecostal movement, which just means we were very fond of swinging from chandeliers. Um, and when I was growing up, I went to a lot of prayer meetings because I was a very wild teenager. And I was at one particular prayer meeting and It was going very well. Chandeliers were being swung on and everything. And I just started to feel so much love in my heart for Jesus, for God. And I was overwhelmed with it. And I thought, oh, 
what is this bubbling up in me but a spontaneous song? I'm going to have to sing it out. So I get myself ready to sing out my spontaneous song. Here I go, Jesus, this is for you. And I'm like, I I think this is going to be good. And I start, and my song sounded a little bit like this. You are my fire, my one desire. At that stage, I was like, this song is good. I hope someone is recording this prayer meeting because this is the title track to the next live album, right? And so I keep going and I'm like, believe when I say I want it. At this stage, I start to realize what is actually happening, but I'm too far in, too far gone. I got to finish the song. So I finished it and uh, probably got a lot of judgment thrown my way because I wasn't even supposed to be listening to that secular devil music anyway. (laughs) So my journey with worship was not always as funny as that. And sometimes it was quite complicated and sometimes very confusing. It wasn't long after I left uh, the Bible Belt at 17 to go off to university in the Midwest that I really began to struggle with the corporate worship experience. Um, I started to feel really disconnected emotionally and even bored during worship. I found myself fighting my mind constantly to try and stay engaged, but it was a losing battle a lot of the time. And it was this way for a long time, I have to say. Around the same time, the effects of some really traumatic experiences I had when I was younger um, started to present themselves in my life. So processing through things like relational breakdown and death um, just became really, really difficult. And I I found myself um, more than ever afraid of things like dying, getting sick, people I loved dying and getting sick, um, and also really resistant to community, just wanting to depend on as few people as possible. And meanwhile, I still loved God very much. I loved him. I'd had a very incredible supernatural experiences with him when I was younger. I knew who he was. Um, But things in my life had fallen apart in some areas. And not only that, things in the lives of the people around me, there were some really painful situations that left me feeling totally and utterly insecure and wary of God. Okay? Ten years ago, I married this man, and we moved here to Northern Ireland. And I think possibly... Uh, moving away from what I was used to and sort of out of that um, uh, environment, I found myself slowing down and I found myself asking God a question that had always been in the back of my mind, but I was too afraid to really engage. Um, And that question was, what am I worshiping you for? I wasn't trying to be cheeky or disrespectful. It was a genuine question. Um, In some ways, I longed for that naivety and simplicity that I had as 
a really, really young person before I knew how dark the nights could be and how deep certain pains could go before I knew how fragile life was. And I couldn't seem to reconcile the words and the songs we were singing in church and the reality I was experiencing outside of that. That question I started asking 10 years ago became a 10-year-long conversation between me and the Holy Spirit that was so brutally honest and incredibly important if I was actually going to thrive in my relationship with Jesus. Okay? At this point, I was, I don't mind saying it, completely and utterly exhausted spiritually. I had nothing to give, nothing to say about anything. I wanted to crawl up in a corner and just take a long spiritual nap. You see, the religion that I believed in told me that if I prayed enough and if I worshiped enough and if I could get myself holy enough, God would like me enough and protect me from bad things happening and get me out of bad things that it might have slipped through that invisible net of protection you get when you become a, a Christian. And imagine my surprise when I began to realize that not only did God never say that, he actually said the opposite. John 16:33 In this godless world you will continue to experience difficulties but take heart I have conquered the world After reading that bit of scripture I felt equal parts relieved and terrified I was relieved because the God that I loved my whole life had not lied to me. He was never dishonest with me. I was terrified because, oh, there isn't a magical net of protection, you know, that'll keep all the bad things out. Which brought me back to my question you see, before when I was worshiping, I was worshiping either to remind God about the magical net, to remind myself to get up the courage to live life because there's a magical net. But if that didn't exist, then what am I worshiping you for? There was a big hole in my understanding of who God was and what worship was. What would make me feel like worshiping you if that's not true? What's the incentive? How many of you know that God absolutely loves your questions? If you were ever taught not to question God, throw that out. He loves it when you come to him with your questions. And he answers back, by the way. The Holy Spirit started to reveal to me the attitude I had when I would normally come into a worship experience, right? And 
what I would do is I would come in with, with these ulterior motives. I came to ask for things, which is not bad to ask God for stuff, but my worship was driven by asking for things. I came to barter with God. If I do this, you do this. And I came to pay my dues like I was a part of some country club. And if I pay my dues, my membership will stay updated and then I will be protected, right? All in hopes that if I asked enough, God would finally come through. And that is why I was so exhausted. I was thinking about this and I thought this is probably what my worship sounded like to God, right? Our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. So he can obviously get me this job that I need. Oh, get me this job. I need this job because I need that money. Come on, get me this job. Come on. Hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) Exhausting. And essentially what I was doing in worship was I was worshiping my own fear, my own feelings, and my own need, and dressing it up in the garment of worship. I think I thought maybe God has so much on his plate, he needed to constantly be reminded of everything I needed him to do. And the reality was, I did not trust God at all. I remember the moment I came to that realization and as the Holy Spirit led me there and I said, Jesus, I love you. I really love you. But I trust you about as far as I could throw you. Because I see. I see everything around me and everything that could go wrong and all the things that, I don't know, it looks like you're just letting go by. And it was at that stage, I feel like God led me to change my question a bit from what am I worshiping you for to this? What am I trusting you for? You ask for my trust. What is it you want me to trust you for? And can I share with you a little bit of what the Father spoke to me. And, and please keep in mind that I'm trying to condense a 10-year conversation that happened in pieces as I could, as I could take it. It took him 10 years. It took me 10 years to hear all this stuff. He says, I'm not promising you that you can avoid pain and discomfort. In fact, you will experience those things on this earth. But I am promising you this. I have defeated everything that could ever threaten to destroy you. And when I return and bring with me my kingdom in all of its fullness, every pain, every heartache will be like the whisper of a distant memory and you will be completely healed and whole, never to be broken again. That is what you are trusting me for. You're trusting me that what I did on the cross and when I rose from the dead is more than enough. 
Paul said it like this in Romans 8.18. I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. Is it wrong to pray that suffering in? Absolutely not. Is it wrong to pray for healing? Absolutely not. You know that we love to do that here at the vineyard. But do you know what I was doing and the Holy Spirit revealed to me? I was allowing my fear to dictate my prayers and my worship. I was driven by fear, a deep fear. And it was dictating my interaction with the Father. The Holy Spirit said to me, so when you worship me, this is what you should be doing. This is what this should look like. This is the foundation of your worship of me. You are reminding yourself who I am because in this world it is easy for you to forget. You are not reminding me. I have not and will never forget. You are not reminding me of your trouble or your heartache or your pain. You are not begging me to take some time out from my busy schedule to help you. You are thanking me because I have already gone before you. You are reminding yourself that even if the worst happens, even if the worst happens, you will still be victorious because I have won the ultimate victory so that you can lay your heavy fear down and live light no matter what the circumstances. That is why I'm worthy of your worship. That's hard. I remember thinking, that's really lovely. But here and now, this is all I know. I'm excited for the kingdom to come, but I've never lived in that kingdom. I can't even imagine it. This is my life here and now. These are my people this is what I need fixed. And he reminded me of something. Um, I have three children. And I had them all in 18 months. So at one stage, we had three children under the age of two and a half. And one thing I started to notice with all of our kids, but one in particular who is very, very sensitive to things, there was one time I think there was a party to go to or something, and we had been so excited about this party. I mean, this party was life. This party was like months and months we were looking forward to this party. This was it. All the cousins were going to be there. You know what it's like. And um, something happened, and the party was canceled. I remember going into the room to tell the child that the party had been canceled. The party had been canceled. We're going to reschedule it. Don't worry. It's going to be rescheduled. 
all they heard was the party had been canceled. And the next thing you know, the level of wailing and mourning and grieving I had never seen before in my life. And I had been to some pretty heavy funerals. And I'm like, looking, and they're on the floor. And you can tell they're having this very genuine, like, grief experience. And so I thought, I got down on my knees, and I said, baby, I said, come here. I said, look, I know, I know this hurts. Like, you've been looking forward to this. This is like everything you've been wanting for months, and now it's not going to happen. But I promise you, it'll be okay. Like, tomorrow, you know what kids are like, tomorrow you won't even remember you were upset about this. Right? I remember it's like the Holy Spirit reminded me. You know how you say that to your children, And they're having a genuine, like, the world is falling apart around them. But as a parent, you have this perspective. You know things they can't know yet. You've seen things they can't see yet. You've been places they cannot go yet. And so you know that everything will be okay. But try convincing them in that moment. Because that's all they know. It was like the father was saying, can you trust that I know things you don't know yet? It's okay to be down there. But can you trust that I've seen things you can't even imagine yet? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Because when this is done, I don't know of a better response for this talk but to worship together. But just before we do that, I want to tell you three quick stories from Scripture. And you may see yourself in one of them. In, in the Old Testament, a lot of times when you saw people worshiping, Uh, There were things like incense and and spices and and costly oils and perfumes involved. And it was that imagery of sending our worship to heaven and that smoke of the incense rising. And even says in scripture that your worship is like sweet smelling incense to the Father. I'm going to read you three different scriptures. The first one's from Matthew chapter 2. Herod, who was a king back then when Jesus was born, then arranged a secret meeting with the scholars from the east, pretending to be as devout as they were. He got them to tell him exactly when the birth announcement star appeared. So he's trying to find Jesus. Then he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem and said, Go find this child. Leave no stone unturned. As soon as you find him, send word, and I'll join you at once in your worship. Instructed by the king, they set off. Then the star appeared again, the same star they had seen in the eastern skies. It led them out until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. They entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. And overcome, they kneeled and worshipped him. Then they opened their luggage and presented gifts, gold, 
frankincense, and myrrh. So here you have these three kings, essentially, these three important men traveling to a place to finally see a fulfillment of a prophecy that the earth had been groaning for since the moment Adam and Eve took bites from the apple. Can you imagine that supernatural light in the sky following it and realizing that you had come at the right time to the right place to see the fulfillment of the promise of the presence of God here on earth to save us all. Some of you this morning are in places like that in your lives. You have been waiting for something that God told you long ago he was going to do. And you've been faithful and you've been following Jesus and you're at a moment right now where you are in the right place at the right time and you are looking at the fulfillment of promises in your life and life is good today. And I want to tell you that there is a place here in the presence of God for your worship, for your response to be, thank you, Jesus. You are who you said you are. I didn't know if I was going to get here, but look at us. We got here, and you are faithful. There is a place for your worship here this morning. Luke 7, starting at verse 36 One of the Pharisees asked Jesus over for a meal. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at the dinner table. Just then a woman of the village, the town harlot, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet, weeping, raining tears on his feet. Letting down her hair, she dried his feet, kissed them and anointed them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man was the prophet I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who is falling all over him. And Jesus said to him, do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing for freshening up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. I love this story. When I read this story, a lot of people talk about this story of like, oh, what a waste to this perfume that was worth a year's wages. What a waste. And let's, you know, let's look at that. Let's give extravagant worship to Jesus. And that is so true. But do you know what I love about this story? That woman was the town harlot. Everybody knew about it. Jesus is at the home of a, of a religious leader with other religious leaders and people in the know and important people. This woman could have chosen another moment to worship at the feet of Jesus, one in which she wouldn't be so exposed. 
But in that moment when she knew that Jesus was in this house, she braved walking through a dinner party of judgment. She knew what those people thought about her. And none of it was lies. She knew what she had done. She knew the decisions she had made in her life. And yet it was more important for her to get to Jesus, to worship him. Some of us this morning live in constant fear of being found out. If they only knew who I really am. If they only knew the decisions that I made in my life. And this morning, there is a place for you here in the presence of Jesus for your worship of a king who loves you and who does not care what anyone else thinks of you. For you to worship him today despite those fears. Luke 23 starting at verse 50. There was a man by the name of Joseph, a member of the Jewish high council, a man of good heart and good character. He had not gone along with the plans and actions of the council. His hometown was the Jewish village of Arimathea. He lived in alert expectation of the kingdom of God. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Taking him down, he wrapped him in a linen shroud and placed him in a tomb, chiseled into the rock, a tomb never yet used. It was the day before Sabbath. The Sabbath was just about to begin. The women who had been companions of Jesus from Galilee followed along. They saw the tomb where Jesus' body was placed. Then they went back to prepare burial spices and perfumes. They rested quietly on the Sabbath as commanded. And at the crack of dawn on Sunday, the women came to the tomb carrying the burial spices they had prepared. They found the entrance stone rolled back from the tomb, so they walked in, but once inside, they could not find the body of Jesus. I often think what those women must have been feeling right after Jesus died on the cross. They did not know that there was a resurrection coming. For all they knew, the dream was dead. Everything they hoped for, everything they hung their reputations on died a violent death on the cross. I could only imagine that there was deep sadness because he was their friend, their companion. Maybe disappointment. Maybe a bit of anger. Did he not tell us the truth? We believed him. We gave everything for him. And yet, they did what families would do back then when someone had died. They didn't embalm the way we did, so 
families would come and bring burial spices and perfumes and bathe the body in it so the body would not smell. It was an act of devotion. And yet in the midst of that heartbreak and that pain and that disappointment, they gathered up their spices, they gathered up their perfume, and they set on their way to show their devotion to Jesus. Some of us this morning have experienced the valley of the shadow of death. The thing we feared the most has happened. And we are sad. Maybe you feel lost. Maybe you feel angry. And I just want to say to you this morning, there's a place for your worship here. For your worship, even though the worst has happened. So would you stand with me this morning? We're going to worship together. And, and I have this sense that as we all lay down our different things, our different fears, our different worries, and we come to this place of worship only to remind ourselves of who God is, to declare who he is, we're going to start to see um, freedom in this room. Worship is the proclamation of truth and the declaration of trust. The good news is it's not dependent on your feelings, good or bad. That all I have to do is focus my mind on the Father. Say, you are faithful. You are worthy. You are good. You love me. You are a good father. You have never left me. And that is worship. So we're going to sing together this morning. And I encourage you to throw everything you are into this moment. Let's worship together.